Morning, everybody. If I can uh, interrupt, wonderful conversation again. And we are in the final week of our follow series. What an incredible series it has been. It's, it's marginally better than another incredible thing which is going on at the moment. How many people are watching the World Cup cricket? Yeah, come on, hands up, right? Be proud, right? Those of us cricket lovers, right? Cricket is an incredible game. Can I display a little knowledge of this morning's game? Is there, will anybody mind if I tell them what happened this morning? No, some are yawning already. You will, you will arise from your state of slumber. So cricket goes like this. It's incredible because what happens is the first team bats and they, you see them get all their runs over their 50 overs and it comes and goes and it's amazing. The tension is wonderful. Then the second team bats and this is where it really gets exciting because you compare scores the whole way through. Cricket has a worm. It's not just a political thing, it's a sporting thing. And so you see the, the worm, the trail of the runs being scored. And when a team is above the other team, the other team wants to try and get their worm lower so that they score less runs. And this morning there was this game, New Zealand versus West Indies, and we were doing fine until Chris Gale started smashing us out of the park. Then we got him out and a bunch of others, so we started winning again. And then it got unbelievably close at the end of the game. And you knew all the way through whether you were ahead or behind, which created great tension, I want to tell you, cricket is incredible. <laughs> Come on. Oh, yeah. So why has that got anything to do with the seven markers of a disciple? Well, when Jesus came and said, come follow me, he called people, he called all people to his mission, to restore humanity's relationship with the God who created them and to transform our lives from various states of brokenness to reflect the life that God intended us to have. The seven markers that we have looked at as we've journeyed over through the past few weeks describe the areas of our life that the Bible calls us to pay attention to. They give us a framework for growing as followers of Jesus Christ and also to help us help others grow as followers of Jesus Christ. Each marker is like a trend indicator. It's like a runworm. It shows us how we're doing. And it's not so much about how you're doing today or even what you've done over the past week. You see, growing as a follower of Jesus Christ is about developing habits of spiritual growth over time. And this requires intentional engagement. And as you reflect on these seven areas, you're looking for trends, you're looking for transformation over your lifetime. I'm going to throw some up here on the screen so you can see them. We started off with Christ-like character. Well, over the past six months, how has your character become more like Jesus? We looked at a Bible-based life. Over the past six months, for instance, how have you gone reading and applying the truths of the Bible to your life? Are you growing or not? We looked at consistent community. Over the past six months, and that's just a time period, it could be three, doesn't really matter. It's looking at the trend of your life. Over this time, how have you engaged in Christian community? Are you encouraging others and being encouraged yourself in community? We looked at humble service. In the past six months, have you faithfully used your spiritual gifts to build others up in their faith? We looked at joyful generosity, and as we look at that, as we look at our giving patterns over the past period of time, can we see that we're growing in generosity and we're investing in eternal treasures? And last week, we looked at worship and prayer, and I wonder, in the past period of time, the past six months, how has your engagement and worship and prayer deepened? And then this week, organic outreach. Has our outreach temperature, has your outreach temperature, has your passion to share the gospel increased in the past six months? And do you have examples of sharing your faith? Trends, markers to help us grow as followers of Jesus Christ. You know, um, through my entire life, I have held on to this hope that cricket would prove useful one day. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, I believe we have reached that moment. <laughs> oh dear. 
Organic outreach, organic outreach, the seventh marker of a Jesus follower. You know, just before Jesus went up to heaven again, the ascension, so he had died, right, and been put in a tomb. And then three days later, God had raised him up out of death and into life again. And for the next 40 days, he wandered around and talked and taught and, and ate and had, had good times and, and with all of these people. And then at the end of those 40 days, we find him with his 11 disciples, not 12 because Judas has gone and he's got 11 now, with his 11 disciples there on this hillside and he gives them one final command. And we tend to refer to it as the Great Commission. So in other words, Jesus commissioned them. He gave them a mission. And we find it in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. We'll read it. It says this, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And this being the final command. So these 11 get this command to go out and make disciples. And and he's saying to them, and I want you to make disciples. I want you to teach them to go out and make disciples who will teach them to go out and make disciples. So it continues on all the way to us and beyond. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, right from the very, very start of this idea, this this living thing called the church, right from the very, very start, disciples of Jesus were people who were sent to go. You get that? Right from the beginning. Larry Walkermeyer, cool name, and Todd Wilson wrote a book about this, this kind of thing, and it's called The Mobilization Flywheel. We're gonna refer to that book a few times. It's a really excellent resource. And here's something that they said about this. They said, from the beginning, biblical discipleship always majored on going. Disciples were sent to make other disciples. Increasing maturity was evidenced by increasing spiritual activity by disciples among non-believers. Every single one of us, every single one of us who identifies as being a Jesus follower, who would put our hand in the air and say, yes, I am a Jesus follower, every single one of us is actually a missionary. Now we have missionaries of the street. These are people that we call missionaries. They have been sent out and they're off in some foreign land and they're doing some work over there to spread the gospel. And, and we, every month, pretty much, we give you an update about one of those missionaries and say, this is what's going on, you know, for Nikki and Matt or um, Esther and this is what they're up to and we give you an update. I wanna tell you something. You know what? We should be getting updates from every single one of us. Every month we should be going, this is what's going on. I'm a missionary. This is what God is doing through me because I am an everyday missionary and I have been sent to go into an everyday mission field. Jesus said, go. He gave us a commission. And other words for commission would be things like a command, a directive, an instruction, a charge, an assignment, a formal order. So when Jesus said go and take the gospel and make disciples, that is a formal order from the king to every single one of us. And we are missionaries. Jesus said go But where do we go? Where do we go to? How do we know where to go? So someone like like Nikki and Matt Parlane, one of our, um, two of our missionaries, they knew God called them to go to a certain country and do a certain thing. Where do we go? Well, I would suggest that where we go as everyday missionaries is where we already go. 
Pretty simple. It's where we already are. Where do you live? What is your suburb? What is your street? What is your home? That is where you go. You are a missionary. Where do you live? Where do you work or study? That is where you go. Where do you play? What are your interests, your hobbies, the fun stuff? Where do you go walking? Where do you go running? Where do you go to the gym? Where do you knit? <laughs> Whatever it is. I do have a friend who has a knitting club. It does exist. But yeah, the, where you work and where you live and where you play, this is your everyday mission field. This is where you are called to go. And God may extend that too. And so we have those regular places that are our mission field. We also have the irregular places that are our mission field. For some of you right here today, you may this very week go somewhere that you don't normally go. You may go to hospital. You may go on a training course. You may go to an event or a party. You may go to someone's home. You may go to a foreign country. This too, this is your mission field, where you go. Larry Walkermeyer and Todd Wilson also say this, an everyday missionary marches to an uncommon beat. For these normal but tragically rare disciples, the Great Commission is deeply understood and daily prioritized. That's challenging, right? They expect to be used by God on a daily basis to draw someone nearer to Christ. You know, you do not have to give up your normal everyday life in order to follow Jesus. You need to follow Jesus in your normal everyday life, daily faithfulness right where you live, work, and play is what God most uses to build his kingdom. So let's talk about this everyday missionary for you and for me. I'm gonna put up some points on the screen where you get to look at this and use this as a, almost a worksheet to say, how am I doing? So take the first one here, an everyday missionary, which we all are, we've now worked that out, identifies their mission field. You know, that means that we get intentional around where we live, where we work, where we play. We don't just simply drift through life. We get highly intentional around it with God's eyes. Secondly, we see ourselves as sent by God to take the gospel into our mission field. So we know where it is, and then our view on life is that I've been sent by God. I've been commissioned by God, as Sarah said just before. We've been commanded by God. You know, it may well be that you can look at this, and you could actually make the case that if you are not going and actively engaging in your mission field, you're not following Jesus, you're simply spectating. It could be that if you are not fully engaging in your mission field, that you are more like Jesus is, is my you know, fire insurance in my back pocket as opposed to the Lord of my life here and now. If you have a mission field, you'll carry a burden and an urgency for the lostness within your mission field and you'll see and understand the people and the needs around them and take specific actions to meet needs within your mission field. We watched before the promo video for the Thread Conference and many of us enjoy the first couple of uh, sound bites of that. We like the fact that people are teachers or are nurses or are rugby coaches or are, or are boxing coaches, but we get a little uncomfortable with people who are lonely or are broken or are hurting or feel like an imposter. And if we actually were honest, in this room here, all of those things are present. Are we seeing people with God's eyes? Are we seeing our work colleague who annoys us with God's eyes? Are we seeing the neighbor across the street with God's eyes? Are we allowing the heart of God to transform our heart so that it becomes his heart? How do we see our mission field? We pray and we fast for the people and the needs around them. As we see people with God's eyes, do we do what God would want us to do? Do we allow him to break us? 
Do we allow him and do we actually discipline ourselves to a place where we transform our lives for the sake of the mission? You know, as Sarah said, you don't have to leave where you are to be a missionary. But what we do need to do is allow God to turn us upside down, to shake us and to rattle us and to completely change our priorities and our life so that when we go back to where we already are, we find that we see things in a completely new way. This is being an everyday missionary. We look for opportunities to build relationships within our mission field and we look for opportunities to engage in relational disciple making. I wanna tell you, I am just simply talking to myself. You happen to be listening today. This turns my world upside down. And if I am to fully engage in this, Nick Field will be a completely different Nick Field in the way that he acts and lives and does life. And we want to talk about this a little bit more for the rest of the sermon. We're going to tell some stories. Well, Sarah's going to tell some stories. I'm going to come in with some applications at the end of each story. And uh, so that's the way we're going to roll the rest of this. And we thought doing organic outreach is the final one. We're not going to reteach organic outreach. We all know that. We're not going to talk God space stuff because Doug Pollock has done that. And you can go onto the app and you can listen to the conference we had where he taught us. But we're going to tell stories and we're going to pull out principles from that, which hopefully will be an encouragement and a help to you. Sometimes your, your mission field uh, suddenly goes to a different place. For me right now, uh, my mission field includes a rest home that I spend a lot of time at um, because of my mum being there. And so that is definitely a big piece of my mission field right now. Um, recently, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, Nick and I had a holiday for a week in Vietnam. And, um, and we'd never been there before. And we, we got off the plane and then we actually were preaching here in the morning. And um, we mentioned a, a certain guy that we'd met over there and I promised you that I would come back and tell you more of his story. Um, I would like to tell you his story now. His name is Tan and he was in Ho Chi Minh City where we had a few days and he was our tour guide one day and we did a city tour, which was amazing and got to go to all kinds of different um, historical sites and places, learnt the culture, uh, wandered around into little streets and really got to know uh, best we possibly could in a short period of time, as much as we could about Vietnam and, and kind of how it, how it works. And Tan was a lovely guy. He had pretty good English and he was a very motivated sort of A-type personality and got himself from living in a village to um, running this business or being part of this business. And um, he turned up at our hotel to pick us up and he's sort of a little bit embarrassed. He said to us, look, I'm, I'm really sorry. Normally there's a, a whole tour group, um, but today it's just you guys, you two and me. So he said, you get a personal tour. And we thought, well, that's pretty good. And he said, and so therefore you'll be able to tell us how long, you'll be able to decide how long you want to stay in each spot and kind of what you want to do. You'll have a lot more say into how that tour goes. We thought, this is a real win. This is awesome. And so off we went and we went around all these different places and learned all these different things. And he explained so much to us. At one point, um, we went into a temple and we went into this temple and uh, he was telling us all about the belief systems. And what he explained to us was that although many people had been Buddhist um, in Vietnam, then of course it's now a communist country. And so there's been a lot of change in that country. And he said, now most people wouldn't say that they are Buddhist, but they have very strong spiritual beliefs. They believe in spirits. And we said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, well, we believe in angels and ghosts. And we believe that um, when you die, you either become an angel or a ghost. And if you become an angel, you get to go to heaven. That's if you're good. And if you're evil, you become a ghost and you go to hell. And we said to him, wow, you know, how do you know? How do you know if you're evil enough, you know, to go to hell? And how do you know if you're good enough to go to heaven? Because in all of us, there's good and evil. So how do you know where you're going to go? And he said, oh, well, it doesn't really matter. Your children decide for you. <laughs> and immediately I thought of my children. <laughs> 
And, and I said, really? He said, yeah, they pray. And they either pray that you become an angel and go to heaven or they pray that you become um, a ghost and go to hell. Some of you, you're really worried. It's not, <laughs> I don't think it's true. <laughs> it's not true. I said to him though, I said, you know, do people really believe this? Or is it just a bit of a superstition? Oh no, he said, they really believe it. And as I looked around into um, the little houses, we saw many little houses. And as I looked into every house, what I noticed was there were two common um, pieces of equipment, if you like, uh, pieces of furniture in every house. One was a TV set and the other one was a shrine um, so that incense could be, um, and offerings could be made on behalf of ancestors. So the children, the children hold the power, you see, um, for, the, for the past generations. And so he described all of this to us and, and we could tell that, 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 that there was just something going on with this guy and Nick and I were both praying for him um, right through the day and just quietly in our own hearts and minds, we were just praying for him. And finally we took a break and we went to a coffee shop with Tan and we sat down, just the three of us, and he introduced us to Vietnamese coffee and it is really strong. And I mean, you could pretty much like stand a teaspoon up in that cup and it wouldn't go anywhere. And I managed one sip, I think, and then I very rudely said, I don't think I can drink that. And Nick drank the whole thing. That's great. Which was amazing. That's yeah. good, that was really good. <laughs> I went straight to water. I'm still buzzing after all that. that. Yeah. <laughs> he hasn't needed a coffee since we got home. <laughs> And so we're sitting there in this coffee shop and we're talking about Vietnamese coffee and we're talking about Kiwi coffee and we're talking about um, dif different cultural elements between our countries and our ways. And, and he's engaged um, to be married and so Nick was asking him about his fiance and how people get engaged and married and what weddings are like over there. And, and he was telling us his story about that and, and we were telling him. And then we talked a little bit about Christmas and we said to him, how do, you know, do people celebrate Christmas here being a communist country? And he, he shared with us what goes on at Christmas time and then he asked us about, you know, what do we do at Christmas? And so we began to just kind of share a little bit about what Christmas is all about. And then there was, there was just this kind of shift, I suppose, in the, in the atmosphere between us. And what we realized was, was that God was opening up to us God's space, yeah? And that he was doing something. And we were welcome to walk into that space. And so I shared the gospel with Tan. And I, I said to him, you know, Nick and I, we know the God who is the creator, who created everything. And that God, he became a man. He came down to earth and he became a human. And he lived on earth. And he's the only one who was fully good. No evil inside of him. Only goodness. And then what happened was he took all my evil, and he died for it. He took it all away from me, and then he came back to life again, and he gave me all his goodness. And so now, I don't have to wonder, and I don't have to worry, am I good enough? Am I evil enough? Will I be a ghost? Will I be an angel? And I don't have to depend on my children to decide my fate, which I'm grateful for. <laughs> and I asked him, I said, Tan, have you ever heard that story before? And he said, yes. Yes, I have. I have heard that story before. And we were like, wow, really? Who told you that story? How did you hear that story? And he said, six years ago, we were, I was playing soccer in my soccer team. And this man came and he played soccer. And then afterwards, we went to the pub for a drink. And this man, he didn't drink any alcohol. And so Tan said, so I said to him, what religion are you? And the man said to him, I am Christian. And he began to share with Tan what Christian meant. And then he said to Tan, would you like to come to our group that studies the Bible? And Tan said, yes. And so Tan started attending this group and learning the stories of the Bible. And then Tan said to us, and that man, he gave me a Bible. 
He said, it is very expensive. And he gave it to me. He said, it's a big book. I said, I know. And, and I said, have you read it? He goes, two times. I've read it two times. And he, oh, the whole way through, two times. He said, the man told me to put it under my pillow and sleep on it. And so I did. He said, you know what? The Bible, it is a very powerful book. We said, I know. And he said, you know, it's changed my life. It's changed me. He said, it changes me in here. And he kept patting his head. And he said, it changes me in here. And he, and he rises, he goes like this. It changes me, he kept rising up every time he said it. In here and in here. He said, I read the book of Buddha and he said, it is confusing. It is a muddle. And he said, and it doesn't work. He said, I read the Bible and it works. I said, wow, tell us more. He's like, I've changed so much. We're like, how have you changed, Tan? He said, I have got fat. <laughs> and we're like, that's definitely not how you sell it in New Zealand. <laughs> He's like, he's from a village, you know, they're poor, and he was skinny, and now he's fat. And he says, it's because of the Bible. <laughs> and he said, and not only that, but he said, now I have a business, and I make money, and I have sent money back to my village and my family. They have bought like acres of land now. And he said, and I am wise and he said, he said, now when I go back to the village, the people in the village, they say to me, Tan, what has happened? What has changed you? He says, Bible. Bible has changed me. It is a very powerful book. And he said, you know what? Sometimes when I do something, a certain method of, of life, you know, he said, and it doesn't work, then I stop and I think, Ah, maybe that is not the way of the God. And so I go to the Bible and I find out the way of the God. <laughs> and I said, for example, you know, like what, what? Give me an example. He's like, well, an example is, I used to worry a lot about my relationship and about money and food and business. And then he said, then I read in the Bible that Jesus says, do not worry, you cannot add one hour to your life by worry. So I stopped. <laughs> Amen, right? We're like, wow, Tom, that is awesome. And so we explained the gospel a little more to him and we said, you know, Tan, you can repent of all your sin. You can turn away from your sin and you can have Jesus clean you from all your sin. And you know what? In that moment, I don't think he understood what we meant right then. He didn't seem to get it. And I don't know whether that was a culture or language issue or whether it was just a lack of revelation or whether we, you know, we were coming at it the wrong way or maybe he's already saved and we can't articulate it with the same words that we would normally. Or maybe he's well on the way, I don't know. But we encouraged him at that point, you know, get back into that Bible study. Get back into your Bible, read it again. There was an amazing moment there where we could look at him, we could say, Tan, you know how you apologized at the beginning of the day that there was just the two of us on the tour? And we looked and we said, we believe God has actually orchestrated that today. And he wanted to encourage you, and so he made sure there was nobody else on that tour so we could spend this time together with you to encourage you to get stuck back into the Bible again. It's a God moment. And we had the joy and the privilege of being able to do that while being tourists in a different country. And, and here's the internal monologue that's going on in my mind as we do that. And, and we're chatting and talking and we're, we're learning. So we're, we're consciously thinking, man, how would, how would Doug Pollock advise us to do this at this point in time? And so you're asking questions, you're listening to learn. You, you know, as we're in that temple, we're not simply going, oh man, well, we don't want to walk in here. We're thinking, actually, we want to understand you and understand 
understand the culture. We've got to understand what's going on. And this is interesting to us. As Sarah said, we're, we're praying all the way through this and we're asking those wondering questions. And I've got to tell you, here's what goes on in my mind in those wondering question moments as we're driving through um, Ho Chi Minh City, having a look at all these incredible things. On the one hand, I'm going like this. Just shut the conversation down. We've paid this guy. We're a tourist. We want to actually see the city. And on the other hand, I'm going, I'm an everyday missionary. And this is my mission field right here and right now. And you know the incredible thing is, by engaging in the mission, I think God probably blessed us with more of the tourism stuff than we would have otherwise. Engage. God is not your debtor. You do not miss out on life by engaging in mission work right where you are. So we wondered. We asked questions. And as Sarah said, we, we told him our spiritual faith story, but we didn't dump the entire truck. We didn't bust out Wayne Grudem's systematic theology and take him through all 56 chapters of it. We just simply shared a little of our faith and a little about what's going on, and we allowed him to then question us, and we had this respectful conversation around where it was. And the amazing thing that we noticed was that God was at work. And he, pr he probably started with Tan at least six years ago, if not more. And God in his infinite sovereign wisdom determined that he needed a little nudge, a little help that day. And he found a couple of random Kiwi tourists who were there who could help him. What an incredible blessing we found. We walked out of that conversation just buzzing. And it's just amazing when you see God actively at work in and through you. So that was day one in Vietnam. And when we got to our last day, we were in a different part of Vietnam. We were in a beautiful place called Hoi An. And um, it's a very touristy kind of area and it's very pretty in a lot of ways. And Hoi An is known for its tailor shops. They have 500 tailor shops in this little town. And the thing that tourists do there is they go to a tailor and they get a jacket made or something like that, right? Well, this was our last day, and so that morning in my quiet time, I just said to the Lord, Lord, could you give us one more opportunity, one more opportunity to share Jesus today? Um, it's our last day, yeah. And so off we went into Hui An, and we had um, found a tailor shop earlier on, and we had um, got some things made, and you have to go back and forth a little bit because you've got to get re-measured and checked and so on. They want to get it just right. And this was the final time, and we were going to be picking up the bits and pieces that they had made for us. So we arrived there in the wee tailor shop and went to the little counter, and um, there was a girl called Jane who was serving us. And um, I said to her, Jane, I love your dress. That's really, really lovely. Did you make it? And we end up having this little conversation around about her dress. And then a very awkward thing happened. And the, the sort of thing that doesn't really happen here in our own country. She looked at, at us and she said, you know, Nick and Sarah, you are so friendly and you are so kind and all the staff talk about how friendly and kind you are. <laughs> Awkward. What do you say in response to that? It's like, thank you. <laughs> and then, um, then you think, flip, you know, hope I stay that way. <laughs> and, then, and then she said, um, okay, so um, if you want to go and sit down over there on this little couch and wait, it's going to take us about 10 minutes or something to get your bits and pieces sorted. So, so we went over there and sat down and there were some magazines there and we just started looking through a magazine. And, and then the next thing we know, Jane, the, the girl we just talked to a minute ago, she came over and she sat opposite us on another chair and she just wanted to have a chat. She just wanted to have conversation. And so again, we, be we began this conversation. She had looked up New Zealand on the internet and she knew a little bit about us. And so we began to, to talk about our cultures and about what's normal here and what's normal there and swap stories and histories and families. And then uh, we showed her a photo of our family and we talked about our context. And I said to her, Jane, would you like to come to New Zealand? And she said, I would love to come to New Zealand. And we said, well, look, if you ever come to New Zealand, come and stay with us. 
you know, we've got a spare room and we would love to have you visit with us. She's like, really? Nick said, I think you sound like a stalker when you say stuff like that. <laughs> and, um, and, and then we said to her, we are pastors. And she didn't know that word. And so we were like, um, we are priests. And <laughs> she goes, her, her jaw dropped. And she goes, oh, you are allowed to be married? <laughs> like, yes, we are allowed to be married. And, um, and so we said, yeah, we are priests and we, um, we have a church in Wellington and um, lots of internationals from all sorts of countries, lots of people from different Asian countries come to Wellington and come to church and we would love you to come and visit us. And then we, they gave us our, our clothes and um, we stood up to say goodbye to Jane and the others. And then I said to Jane, Jane, I'm going to be praying to Jesus for you. And she just looked taken aback and touched by that. And it went no further and we left the shop. When Jesus said um, that we are the light of the world and we are to let our light shine through good works, we often look at that and we think, yes, there are good works that we must do. But I wonder if he also meant that those good works are simply the way we live our lives. And I wonder how many times we either enforce um, the good or enforce the bad messages around who Christians are. How do we treat the people who serve us in the shops? How do we treat our fellow employees or our bosses? How do we treat the people we study? What's it like being on the other side of me? What's it like being on the other side of you? You realize that everything you do makes a difference in your mission field. It's not just simply what you say, it's how you smile, it's how you look, it's how you respond. We could have been those customers. You know, the, the, the jacket wasn't quite right on the second measure and we had to come back for a third and that was fine because we were on holiday. We could have got antsy about, oh, you should have got this right this time. We could have, you know, stood on our rights as a customer. Instead, we just said, no, oh, this is great. Oh, we've got to come back into Hoi An one more time. Whoop-de-doo, this is fun. Didn't actually say that, but you get the idea. <laughs> people notice. And so I wonder in your mission field if people notice that. You know, for Jane, this could have been arguably the first time she heard the word Jesus. Could have been the very first time that she'd had the concept of a Christian follower of Jesus actually talking with her. And so we had that moment to take that opportunity. We had the moment to help her, as it were, in her spiritual journey, move her a step closer towards working out who Jesus Christ is. And it strikes me that in our call as an everyday missionary, every moment counts. There is no moment where we are off duty. There is no moment where we can turn around and say, oh, I'm just going to check out for the next 12 days because I'm on holiday. Or I'm just going to check out because I'm having a bad day. When I'm having a bad day, other people need to know about. You know what? With greatest and deepest love and respect, get over yourself. You have a higher call. It's the call to follow Jesus Christ. It's the call to make disciples. It's what the creator of the universe has charged each one of us to do. For heaven's sake, Live like you are a missionary. So we are everyday missionaries and we have an everyday mission field. And, and for a little while, ours um, happened to be in Vietnam, but obviously that's not the only place that it is. Um, we have good friends right here in this, in this city who are very dear to us, who love us and who we love and they care for us, we care for them and, and our greatest desire is to see them come to know Jesus and all of the life that Jesus brings and has brought into our life and, and um, one couple in particular who we're very, very close with, um, we, we, that we're about to do a Bible study with them. So we just invited them, to, we just said, look, would you like to um, find out about Jesus and just come together with Nick and I and, and, and we'll just spend some time together. And they said yes, which was awesome. And so we're just going to get together maybe on a Saturday morning or maybe in an evening and we're going to open up the book of Mark or the book of Luke and we're just going to look at it together. 
and we're going to discuss it together. And through that time, our prayer continues to be that Jesus will be revealed to them and that they will come to know him. So the thing is, I suppose, with that that I would say is that we've got the greatest message in the whole wide world. We've got the goodest news, right? The goodest news ever. Why on earth would we not share that with the people that we love the most? So as we draw to a close, I wonder how you view outreach. I wonder if that is just that slightly awkward you know, seventh marker, glad it's the seventh one, I can focus on the first six and don't need, you know, I won't get to number seven. I wonder if for you outreach is that thing where you've, you've even created some kind of theological construct to say, oh, I don't really need to be proactive in it. I wonder if for some of us it's something we've tried over the years and, and even though as a church we've been really investing in this through the organic outreach temperature gauge thing and we've done the Doug Pollock thing, we've looked at creating God's space, you've just simply put it onto the shelf and said, too hard. I wanna tell you, that as long as this leadership leads the way it leads, you are never going to get away too far from hearing a reminder about the importance of outreach. And the reason for that is because this is almost like the glue that holds the other six together. Because you cannot become a disciple unless you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You cannot actually have your character transformed unless your heart has been transformed first and foremost. You cannot serve others with spiritual gifts unless God has invested those gifts into your life through the power of the Holy Spirit who comes when you give your life to Jesus Christ. So the thing is, is that if we miss outreach, we miss the whole thing and we just become a diluted social club that decides to meet together and sing Kumbaya on a Sunday morning. And that's not what Jesus commissioned the church to do. And so here and now, today, in this moment, would you once again, and you might need to do this every week for the rest of your life, and I'm just simply talking to me, you happen to be listening. I need to rededicate myself to outreach because I know how quickly this cools down. I look at that list on what it means to be an everyday missionary and I go, I've got some work to do. I need to re-surrender my life to Jesus Christ. So here's what I'm gonna do. Firstly, I'm gonna explain as simply as I can in a couple of minutes the gospel because we need to remind ourselves of what it is that we're telling other people. It's not a philosophical viewpoint. It's not even a theological viewpoint. It's not a how to improve my life. It's not how to get fat. I don't want to. Tan might have. I wish it would make me skinny. It doesn't do that either. The Bible, yes, following God, sees your life become the fullest it is meant to be, but it only happens by restoring your relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm gonna explain the gospel simply. Explain the gospel to yourself time after time after time. Find ways to do it so it's fresh in your mind. And then secondly, I'm gonna encourage every single one of us to say, God, I'm gonna make a recommitment to you that I believe in the gospel. And we're gonna do that and we're gonna worship and Josh is gonna pray and we're gonna go out and make a difference in the world. So that's where we're heading in the next 10 minutes or so. Here's the gospel. Very simply, listen up. We are created to live in relationship with God, our creator, who is holy. We've broken that relationship by choosing to live for ourselves. The Bible calls this sin. And the consequence of our sin is to receive exactly what we have chosen, separation from God for eternity. The Bible calls that the second death or hell. Yet we are loved beyond description by God who solved this brokenness and the problem of our sin and our separation. He did this by sending his son, Jesus Christ, who is God, who came into the world as a man. Jesus Christ was killed by humanity, and then he rose from the dead. His resurrection defeated humanity's greatest and ultimate enemy, and that is death. And he also declared God's justice. He took our sin, and he paid the consequence of them. So, what is the good news for you and for me? It is simply this. 
that our relationship with God who created us can be restored and we can experience life, life as it was meant to be lived, life as we were created to live life. We can be saved from the consequence of our choices. The Bible calls us to repent. That is, to have a change of mind and a change of direction, to turn to God and to receive this gift of life. In the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 38, it tells us that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed, and through him, everyone who believes is set free from sin. Here's my question. Firstly, if you have never believed Jesus Christ for that, for that life, would you do so this morning? I'm gonna lead you in a very brief prayer in a second. And you can right here, right now, receive all that God has for you. In fact, let's do that now. Would you bow your heads with me? And if for you that is news, or if for you right now you've just sensed God and you can't even explain it, but you've just sensed God say, man, you need that. That defines exactly what your heart and your mind and your life is looking for. Would you pray these words after me? Father God, I thank you, you love me. I thank you, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to come and to die in my place. I thank you that he can save me from the consequence of my choice. Father, I agree with you. I am a sinner. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. I declare before heaven and earth that I believe in Jesus and I receive forgiveness for my sin. Father, I ask these things trusting in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Amen. Just with your heads bowed right now, if you pray that and said, that's me, could you just simply raise your hand now? Just love to pray for you at the end of the service. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? Just looking around the room. Hallelujah. Can we just give these guys a round of applause? Welcome to the family of God. Hallelujah. Here's my question to those of us who are followers of Jesus. Do you believe it? And when I say that, I don't mean do you understand it. I don't mean do you, you know, think it's a good thing. I mean, do you believe it? Because if you believe it, you will put the entire weight of your life on it. If you believe it, everything changes. If you believe that, it means that you are an everyday missionary. It means it is an inconceivable thought to you that you would go for a day without engaging with the mission field that God has put you in. It means that you would not consider going for a day without asking God to break your heart for the things that break his. It means it would be an impossible reality for you to go through a day without asking God to show you what he sees so that you can be involved in his mission of helping the people that he loves become a total follower of Jesus Christ. So my question is this, do you believe it? I look at my life and I think, I'm getting there. I believe it for myself, I know it to be true. But when I look at this in terms of my outreach, I've got some growing to do. In this final marker, I need to grow. So here's what I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask us to stand right now. And just before we sing, if you are like me and you're saying, God, I'm just right here, right now, freshly before you. I'm just saying, I, want, I need to believe this. I just want to go more. I want to go deeper. I just need to surrender my more into this. Would you just simply come and stand in the front? And do that as an act of saying, this is me, Lord. This is me. I'm going to walk out of here different. And so I want to give you just a, just a few seconds to come and stand down the front and get Sarah just to pray. For We're going to pray just an anointing and a filling of the Spirit of God on you that you would know the power of God as you go and live for him this week. So, if that is you, and you're saying, yep, that's me, that's what I want, 
right where you are, would you just simply walk out the front now before we start to sing? And we want to pray for you that you know the power of God in your life. Don't hold back, just come. believe that as you seek God over this this week, he's going to pinpoint your mission field for you. We talked about where you live, work and play. There's going to be specific things that God is going to say to you. You are called to this mission field. You need to have your, have your time with the Lord really open to him speaking to you about that. Mighty God, we pray an anointing. Father, pour out your Holy Spirit into these mission fields, into these missionaries right now. Mighty God, would you further the gospel of Jesus Christ through every mm. single person standing here today. Mm. Oh God, hear the hunger, hear the need, Lord, and would you do even more. Father, I pray that, that this week there will be divine opportunities stepped into that there will be recognition of God's space right there. Father, we pray that you'd release the gifts of your Holy Spirit mm. to be used in the mission field. Father, we pray that, I pray that each of these people would so treasure the gospel and so carry the heart of God that their lives are changed forevermore. Father, I pray for a filling of the Spirit. Amen and an anointing of the Spirit. I pray, Father, that you would give boldness and courage. I pray, Father, you would grace every single person who has, has stepped forward. I pray that the belief in the gospel would deepen. Father, I pray you'd use them this week. I pray, Father, for divine appointments this week. I pray, Father, for those who... Some of you just, some of you that you're frustrated, there's a, there's a friend or a work colleague and you just haven't known where to go with that conversation. Father, I pray this week there'll be breakthrough. Yes, Father, I pray this week there'll just be a sense of, of you opening up like never before. I pray, Father, you give people that boldness not to pull back, but to just step in quietly, gently, but mm. powerfully. So Lord, we ask that you'd build your kingdom. Mm. We ask, Father, that you would use every single one of us to expand the, the power of the gospel, the word of the gospel. Lord Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen.